And joining us here for the news briefing is Sa Misorang. Good morning. Good morning, Henry. Well, we must begin with the COVID-19 updates and perhaps a bit of respite, but I think you're going to indicate to us that it might be a false hope. But Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people were cheered to hear that yesterday, the 10 a.m. announcement coming out that the new infections were dramatically under 1,000 again. That's right. So South Korea's daily new coronavirus cases it returned to the triple digits, which before we were saying, oh, that is oh a gosh, big mark. Yeah. But now it is a nice mark uh, after surpassing the 1000 mark for the first time on Sunday. Yesterday morning, the KDCA confirmed 718 more cases. Of course, it needs to be highlighted that this drop is partly on fewer tests being conducted over the weekend. So of these 718 cases, all but 36 cases were local transmissions, and the country's total caseload now stands at 43,484. There were seven additional deaths, raising the death toll to 587. Well, the 718 may jump up today as we get the uh, announcements coming in, but as you say, on the weekends, uh, there were fewer tests being conducted, and it is still... Um, kind of an uneasy situation, as we just briefly mentioned, how uh, about a fifth or maybe almost a fourth of the cases are right now, as it stands, untraceable, which is Mm -hmm. why the government has um, decided to allot more uh, budget into additional testing. And so if you can get tested, at least they might have a better, clearer idea of where these uh, outbreaks are occurring, because it is difficult to get a handle on right now. And so Just because we went down to 718 yesterday doesn't mean that's going to be the kind of status quo or even the downward trend. Health authorities are actually warning that they believe the daily caseloads may jump up to as high as 1,200 if the current trend continues, right? That's right. So up to 1,200 is how much KDCA Chief Chung Eun-kyung predicts. Chung said during yesterday's daily briefing that the nation's COVID-19 reproduction rate has reached one29 and that the agency forecasts daily infections to fall between 950 and 1,200 in the coming days. Chung Eun-kyung said that this third wave is different from the previous two and deemed the current situation the biggest crisis in South Korea's COVID-19 outbreak thus far. According to the KDCA, it's the patients with mild or no symptoms that are now emerging as the main source of the transmissions. The number of such patients has been growing over the past 10 months and are now causing infections in the workplace, meetings with family and friends, and places of leisure. And you mentioned before that this probably doesn't indicate a downward trend. Um, By the latest check, yesterday's number is going to be at least 792. Mm. So definitely a slight increase at the minimum. At the minimum. And Mm -hmm. of course, uh, from there, uh, there will be a kind of gauging of how the trends go. When you say that the uh, asymptomatic carriers are making a larger and larger percentage of uh, the new infections, that is problematic in the sense that it, epidemiologically speaking, does that sort of indicate that it is kind of spreading more quickly among the younger generation? And that's one thing because you might think that uh, the case fatality rate is lower among that demographic, but at the same time, 
it's more worrisome because uh, those individuals tend to be more economically active, meaning they are engaging in more social activities Mm -hmm. and the potential to be spread to the the vulnerable populations, including the outbreaks we've seen in nursing centers or in churches where there are uh, elderly gathering. That that is why there is that bigger concern, right? That's right. Um, It could be that the strains are different from the ones that we experienced earlier on, but it's definitely true that it is affecting the younger generation more. which is more scary because they are the ones that are likely to go out on these end-of-year gatherings um, and then transmit the virus, as you mentioned, to the vulnerable uh, classes in their family. And I think what's also worrying is that we're now seeing cases of distant acquaintances or even friends of friends or even Mm. your friend Mm. who are of the younger demographic. They are confirmed positive for the virus, but... They didn't have any symptoms. They weren't very sick. And this gives some sort of security to the young people. Oh, it's not a big thing. Yeah. When we get it, it's not a big thing. So don't worry too much. So that is some uh, sort of leniency that is now rising a little bit among the younger class. And there was, I I believe, uh, a little while back on uh, News Mm Gongjang, they were talking about uh, some of the advice being given was the the way to stay um, kind of relatively secure is to just... Maintain a safe zone. So like you have this daily routine in life. So you know your your acquaintance, you know your contacts, Mm -hmm. you know who you're going to go out with. And so that that will keep the kind of random occurrences of potential exposure to the infection to a minimum. But right now, that that strategy will not work because Mm -hmm. um, there is really no safe zone, especially if most of this coming out is asymptomatic carriers. Right, right, right. So uh, any even close acquaintances and family members, as we've seen now, are, can be somebody that can uh, transmit the um, disease to you. A lot of people thought over the weekend that uh, the prime minister, c h uh, n g Se-yoon, would be announcing a level 3.0 mm. raise. Uh, and I think there are some, I think a bit more hawkish advocates who are saying that we need to be there or we should have been there already right, right now and mm-hmm. maybe take that economic pain early on rather than maybe suffering from it later where we're going to have to maybe even do a more severe uh, economic shutdown of the economy. It does feel like they're they're very hesitant to pull the trigger on 3.0 level social distancing. But this week is certainly going to serve as a uh, critical juncture, right? Because we have 2.5 right now. If the numbers keep going up, there really is no other way to go but that very last step. And uh, that would really imply some pretty severe consequences. Severe consequences. And as we discussed, On yesterday's news briefing, under Level 3 social distancing measures, more than 500,000 businesses and facilities will be forced to close, causing major economic and social damage. At the same time, though, it needs to be pointed out that even at 3.0, it's not going to be as stringent as the complete lockdowns Mm. that we saw in Melbourne, Australia Mm -hmm. and some parts of the US and Europe. Where it was essentially a stay-at-home order, right? right? And then you can only come outside one hour a week, not to work, but just to move your muscles. KDCA Chief Tong stressed that the number of cases can be reduced if we rigorously adhere to social distancing guidelines. Latest numbers show that more than 58% of recent infections were transmitted from family, colleagues and acquaintances, so people that you know, which means... No end-of-year social gatherings. So what they are believing is that they can try to get the numbers um, down again uh, under this current 2.5. 
scheme. But as you say, the timing of this is unfortunate because yeah. we're at the year end. This is where we have the traditional year end parties with mm-hmm. various um, office groups and then gatherings with your families and friends. And that really just cannot happen right now, unfortunately. And so it's going to take a little bit of cooperation and maybe a little bit of inconvenience for a lot of people involved. But uh, to get those numbers down, that's really what's going to have to happen. This has had a political toll on the president as well um, through a myriad of factors, but also the COVID-19 pandemic being a part of it. President Moon Jae-in's approval rating uh, has taken a hit. Um, Right now, uh, we see from one of the polls at 36.7%. That's right. So this is at the lowest since Moon took office back in May of 2017. So it appears that his partial cabinet reshuffle, official comments on the conflict between Justice Minister Chumye and Prosecutor General Yoon seok yeol and the announcement of a COVID-19 vaccination plan, all of these weren't enough to turn things around. Based on the latest Real Meter survey of some 2,500 adults nationwide over the previous week from Monday to Friday, 36.7% of the respondents gave a positive assessment of Moon which is down 0.7 percentage points from the previous week. Now, as for the rival parties, the ruling Democratic Party's approval rating inched up 1.1 percentage points to 30.8%, while that of the main opposition People Power Party also rose up 0.3 percentage points to 31.6%. The survey was commissioned by YTN and has a confidence interval of 95% with a margin of error of plus or minus two percentage points. Right. So uh, these are interesting because the past few weeks we've seen this uh, so-called decoupling trend between Mm. uh, the president's approval ratings and the ruling party. Although the ruling party had been suffering from a downward uh, slope in their popularity after the National Assembly occurred and all all those dramatic events with the filibusters, but ultimately, which you're going to talk about a little later, but Mm -hmm. ultimately it did result in a bunch of landmark legislation getting passed. And so not everyone agrees necessarily perhaps with the content of those uh, new laws. However, it did indicate that the ruling party was actually getting stuff done. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing an uptick in in support for them, whereas the president's still still on that downward trajectory. Now, uh, this may be deemed to be political, but this also can maybe just be deemed to be simply just uh, caring for the health and welfare of the people during this pandemic. The president has called for thorough preparation so that uh, these upcoming COVID-19 payments can be swiftly handed out in the new year. That's right. So in a meeting with his senior aides yesterday, President Moon said that all efforts will be directed at stopping the virus and reviving the economy. In particular, he emphasized balanced recovery through policies directed at vulnerable populations, including a plan to directly create over one million public sector jobs for the vulnerable, including the elderly and the disabled. President Moon also called for a swift distribution of the 3 trillion won budget for emergency financial payments to cushion small businesses and the self-employed from the pandemic's fallout. He also touched upon, and this is another reason why the government is very hesitant to pull that trigger to raise the social distancing levels to 3.0, is because, quite frankly, that would spell kind of the death knell for a lot of businesses right Mm -hmm. now. But even at this current Uh, stage, there are a lot of struggling businesses. And the president also touched upon the burdens being placed on those mom and pops in trying to just even keep up with 
rent payments because mm-hmm. if you have no revenue, it's hard to pay rent. Uh, even as uh, this uh, constant, really, because of the idea that uh, some businesses have to shut down by 9 p.m., other businesses can't even open at, at all. all. Mm-hmm. Um, they are really just uh, having no sales. Yeah, so he acknowledged that there are people who question whether this is even fair, yeah. that businesses are having to single-handedly bear both the burden of rent and a sharp decline in sales, as you mentioned, because they are forced to shut in accordance with the government's social distancing guidelines. He urged his aides to further strengthen policies and funds aimed at spreading the so-called good landlord or t a k a n Uh, movement <laughs> where landlords offer discounts to tenants on their rent. It's, uh, we've seen perhaps even much more an exacerbated situation in the U.S. where a lot of these struggling businesses have just simply stopped paying rent, and that's yeah. been an ongoing situation for a while. And so I know it's not easy to really find any sympathy for landlords because the stereotype usually uh, is of them being a very greedy and kind of uh, ruthless lot of people. However, in, in the U.S., there have been cases of huge chains, let's say, for example, like a, a, a big franchise like, like Subway, where Or they just, um, as a company, as a whole, they just tell their um, existing landlords, we're not paying rent at all. Mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. the entire company. And because of their economy to scale, there's really nothing that the, the landlords do, yeah. can do to collect it. And that eventually puts a burden on them because they're also heavily mortgaged and they're, they're mm-hmm. making payments that aren't not now kind of being met with the revenues they receive from these leases. And so it's a vicious circle that is occurring right now. And we're hoping that uh, we can... find a solution to this before having to get into more um, serious economic measures. At the same time, as we turn away from COVID-19 and perhaps distracting a lot of people, especially those engaged in the politics of all of this, there is a disciplinary hearing set to resume today. And there's a lot of argument about process, but basically the essential goal is to address some of these misconduct allegations against the current Prosecutor General Yoon Sagyeol. That's right, and decide what to do from here on. So the two sides, the Justice Ministry and Chief Prosecutor Yoon Sagyeol, they are still at odds over the issue of procedural fairness. Yoon Sagyeol's legal team submitted a statement to the Justice Ministry yesterday demanding that the panel restart its review after the seven-member committee is filled up with reserve members. This is because, as we know, there are seven members of the disciplinary committee, and during the first deliberation, Justice Minister Chu Mie, who petitioned the disciplinary action, and one outside member did not attend the meeting. And Sim Jae-chol of the Justice Ministry recused himself after voting down the disqualification motion. Yoon Tsai is saying, fill up those vacant seats. To this, the Justice Ministry said that, no, it can conduct a review without involving reserve members so long as the committee has reached a quorum, which in this case is four. Meanwhile, a group of DP lawmakers has introduced legislation that will require Yoon s o g y e o l to step down from his post in the coming months if he wants to start a political career. Under the proposal, prosecutors and judges are barred from running in elections within one year of resigning. Right. And it was uh, proposed by the Uri Minju Party, which is led by uh, Choi Gang-wook, who's been sort of kind of like a, a lead figure, a, a, a former lawyer himself, who has been uh, kind of really indicating that 
put your money where your mouth is. If you're mm-hmm. going to go in politics, do it now. But right. if you're not, we're going to have to set this regulation up where it's going to be difficult for people, especially because of the inherent um, conflict of interest that are at stake here, that uh, these former judges, prosecutors, all these high-ranking officials should not be uh, engaging in politics, at least uh, after a certain grace period is mm-hmm. being met. Now, all of this had been going on um, in the auspices of the disciplinary hearing, but we mentioned how in the National Assembly we've seen a slight uptick in the ruling party's um, approvals Mm -hmm. because of the fact that they were able to pass legislation. Maybe you can give us a brief recap. I know we've gone over this, but despite the opposition's continued filibuster efforts, uh, the DP had managed to um, pass what has been deemed to be the three most contentious bills, right? Right. So as you mentioned, they are getting things done. So the three contentious bills. The revision bill on the Corruption Investigation Office for High-Ranking Officials that passed the legislature last Thursday in a 187-99 to vote. And as our Sunju mentioned on yesterday's news briefing, the DP ended a four-day filibuster over the spy agency bill, which later passed the Assembly again with 187 votes. And yesterday, the DP ended a two-day filibuster over the anti-Pyongyang leaflet ban bill, which passed the Assembly at around 10 p.m., in a 187-0 vote. Now, the National Assembly law allows a filibuster to continue indefinitely, while the DP, which commands a majority of the 300-seat chamber, can break it with 180 votes 24 hours after the filibuster begins. So now with that filibuster lockup situation in the rearview mirror, the rival parties are expected to dial up efforts in their race to secure this whole and Busan mayoral posts. Right. And the advantage for the ruling party is they're able to point to now legislation and policy saying, this is us. We did this for you guys mm, as they run right. and, and try to um, gain the constituents' favor mm-hmm. in the respective Seoul and Busan mayoral races. It is also interesting that they are now able to get 187 uh, votes if you talk about that uh, vote to end the filibuster without the help of the Justice Party, which usually has been sort of the sister party that has helped them along. Mm -hmm. But there have uh, been, I think, divergent paths, we can say, with Mm -hmm. the Justice Party. And so they're able to do this with the help of the Udi Minju Party and some Mm -hmm. of these independent lawmakers who have been running but uh, tend to align themselves with the uh, Democratic Party. So that is the situation. There are situations that could maybe um, lower the uh, approval ratings for the ruling party, including controversial statements, uh, like the one that was uttered by the uh, DP rep, Song Yong-gil, some lawmakers um, maybe even saying he was being too much of a spokesperson for North Korea. Right. So Song Yong-gil, he's just not a lay representative. He's the head of the National Foreign Affairs Committee. Mm. And he remarked that it is not logical for the U.S. to tell North Korea to not arm itself with nuclear arms when it has 5,000 nuclear weapons of its own. So to give a bit more context, the comments came yesterday during the filibuster debate at the National Assembly where opposition lawmakers from PPP protested a bill supported by the Moon Jae-in administration that forbids domestic activists from sending leaflets across the border to the north. There was strong backlash too uh, from the PPP to Song Yong-gil's comments. For example, party top, party's top spokesperson Hong Kyung-hee asked whether Chairman Song is suggesting that we raise the risk of a nuclear war by allowing everyone, by allowing all countries to have nuclear arms of their own. 
To this, Song Yonggi later refuted on his Facebook account that his comments were misconstrued by the media and that at the core of his comment is the belief that for the NPT, the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, to have legitimacy, a nuclear power should not threaten to attack another country that doesn't have weapons of their own. In its current form, the Inter-Korean Relations Improvement Act, which is the official name for this anti-leaflet bill, it stipulates incarceration of up to three years or a fine of up to 30 million won for spreading items like leaflets, printouts or electronic devices near the inter-Korean border. All right. We have to end on a, a sad note. There was a, a tragic uh, death of a Pangbedong uh, mother and the plight of the son has also highlighted this gaping hole in Korea's social safety net. Mm-hmm. So, Seoul's Pangbedong in that district there, a mother in her 60s was living with her 36-year-old son who has a developmental disability. The mother passed away in the house and it took five months for anyone to find out. According to the police, the mother's severely decomposed body was found earlier this month on the 3rd. When gas and electricity got cut off, the son ended up living on the streets and it was a social worker that he met on the streets that visited his house and finally alerted the system about what happened. Now, in this Pangbedong mother and son case, they managed to fall through the safety net because of several coincidences. The mother didn't notify the Sochogu district office about her son's disability, and the mother and son were already receiving housing benefits, which meant that even when the parents' health insurance bills, it wasn't paid mm. for 100 months. And utility bills, that was not paid for eight months, the Sochogu district office was not notified. And as a result of this tragedy, Sochogu district office said that it will consider conducting a full survey of all two-person households in its district that receive basic living allowances. Yeah, and hopefully during this holiday season, um, we have these uh, anecdotes, but hopefully there is greater awareness to try to to get help to those people who definitely uh, need it out there. All right, uh, we will leave it there. Ms. Horang, thank you once again for all the reporting and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you very much.